I invite you this morning to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to take a look at a short passage in that first chapter of 2 Timothy. We're going to look at several other passages as we continue our study of hearing God. Today we're talking about some things that influence how we hear God. We're going to highlight, well, originally I was going to highlight three of them, but I'm going to add a fourth that I think is as important as the others. But I want you to listen to this beautiful passage where Paul says, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. I want you to notice in that passage the beautiful relationship that the Apostle Paul had with God. It was a relationship of total trust. He strongly desired that those he was writing to would have a similar relationship. And so he encouraged them to follow his teachings, not because he was perfect, no, but because the teachings that he was delivering were delivering, delivered in faith and love by the Holy Spirit through him to them. And my friends, we have the privilege of reading we have the privilege of reading those teachings. We need to recognize them as God's word, as those early believers did. They're God's words to us. So let's pray for just a moment. Father, we, so we, we seek to hear your voice again this morning. We know that we need to have an intimate, moment-by-moment, day-by-day relationship with you. And that there are times when so many other things clutter our minds that that relationship is lacking. So once again, we call upon you to remind us of a few of those things that influence how we hear you. We know there are some definite things that hinder us from hearing you, and we'll look at them later. But speak to our hearts today so that we might recognize your voice when you're speaking to us. Because we know that prayer was not intended to be one-way communication. But prayer and hearing go together. It is to be a conversation. So we open ourselves up. We ask you to help us to set aside thoughts that might be hindering us today and help us to tune in to what it is you want to say to us. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Why is it that two groups of people can be praying about the same thing 
One group hears a very positive response and the other hears a very negative response. Why is one group motivated and the other group discouraged? God loves both groups equally. But there is a difference in how they're hearing and what they're hearing. And I believe that the difference can usually be explained by looking at some key elements, primary factors that influence how we hear God. I learned these initially through the teachings of Charles Stanley. So I'm going to share, I'm going to use three points that he shared as the basis of my outline this morning, but I'm going to add another one at the end that I think is very important. Right up top is our personal relationship with God. Do we know him personally? Have we have a, do we have a personal relationship with him through the Lord Jesus Christ? 2 Corinthians, not 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, verse 14, it says the natural person, that is talking about an individual that does not have faith in Christ, who has not been born from above, who does not have the spirit living within him, says the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So right up front, we need to recognize that if you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus, then he is under no obligation to speak to you. And if he does choose to speak to you, chances are he'll be talking to you about your salvation and your need to experience his love and his forgiveness in your life, to have your life cleansed of all unrighteousness. The unbeliever cannot understand spiritual things. But the question I'm going to ask today, because the majority of us here, I believe, are believers, is uh, what about believers? What about our relationship with him? What influences how we hear him? You know, we've got a twofold relationship with God. One has to do with our salvation. The salvation experience, when we receive Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, the Bible says we are born again. We are born from above. Uh, we are taken out of the kingdom of darkness. We are placed in the kingdom of light. We become his children. Our salvation experience is the beginning of our relationship with him. But then we are to identify ourselves with Christ. You see, our, our salvation takes care of our eternal security. We, we can have confidence before him. We can feel secure in our relationship with him. But it is our identification with him that takes care of our daily walk and whether it is victorious or disastrous. And by identification, I mean recognizing the reality that as a believer, Christ's life is now my life and my life is his. We belong to one another. In Galatians 2.20, the Apostle Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what happened at Calvary to Christ happened to me. Christ was crucified. I have been crucified. Christ was buried. I have been buried. Christ was raised. 
and I have been raised, spiritually speaking, out of that old life that I lived. All of that has taken place. That is the testimony of baptism. The death, burial, and resurrection, and your faith and belief in that concerning Jesus, but also the fact that your old way of life has been buried, and you have been raised up to walk in newness of life with Jesus Christ living in you, with the Holy Spirit residing in your life. That's the theme song of Romans chapter 6, and that's why I read that passage many times when I'm baptizing somebody. When we are identified with him and have accepted by faith that sin's power over us is broken, then we are free to walk in the Spirit. And we are liberated to become the individuals, the persons that God wants us to be. If Jesus is living his life in and through us, it is Jesus living his life in and through us as individuals. He is living his life through our lives. And our relationship is that we are saved, we are forgiven, we are accepted by the Heavenly Father, we are children of God. We've got a new standing with him, and we can have peace and assurance that our daily walk with him is pleasing to him and honorable to him because of this. These two relationships, salvation and identification, make the difference in what we, what we hear and how we hear God. One who is safe and secure in the love of God, one who is sustained by his grace, is no longer one who hears from a distant God. He no longer goes to God groping and pleading and begging and wondering if he is accepted or not, if he is good enough or not. We can come to God knowing that we are accepted not by our behavior, but by our belief in him, our trust in him because of what Jesus did there at Calvary, what he has already accomplished through his resurrection. I can approach him with boldness and assurance as well as you. He becomes our personal, faithful, merciful high priest. He becomes our father. And we can enjoy that wonderful relationship and communion with him where we can dialogue with him, where we can pray and we can listen and hear God's voice speaking to us. But let's take it a step further. What we hear is not only affected by our relationship with him, but it is also affected by our understanding of him, of who he is, what he is all about, who he is in his core. I've asked this question over the years of different people. What if the God that you think you know is not the God who is. There are a great many people in our world today that believe in their hearts that they are sincerely seeking after God, but they're seeking after the wrong God. They are not seeking after the God of the Bible. They are not seeking after the God who sacrificed his life for us and who demonstrated power over death and sin by raising Jesus up from the grave. See, our viewpoint has been influenced by many others. 
It is colored by that of our parents. It's colored by what we were taught early in life. And many of us have incorporated in our inner selves concepts of God that have been handed down to us by school teachers, by Sunday school teachers, by preachers that we have heard. But beyond that, we have been influenced by what friends have said, what our professors have taught us, as well as by books that we have read, television programs that we have watched, movies that we have viewed, and our understanding of God has been distorted sometimes. What we understand about God will deeply, deeply affect the way we hear him. Now, Charles Stanley goes on to identify seven key areas. I think it would serve us well to think of each of these for a moment or so. Do we see God as a loving or demanding father? When God speaks, do we hear a loving father who forgives us and has genuine interest in us? Or do we hear a demanding parent that is always raising the standard on us? Do we hear a voice of one who accepts us where we are at or one who is constantly urging us to make straight A's with no B's? Some of us had parents like that, didn't we? Some of us may have been parents like that, in fact. Do we hear God encouraging us, saying, it's okay, I forgive you. Next time, trust me, and I'll help you. Next time, trust me, turn to me, and I will help you, and I'll make your joy full. Or do we hear a, a demanding father saying, you messed up again, haven't you? You sure didn't do what I told you to do. Is that the way you hear God speaking to you? Friends, that's not God. Holy Spirit, as I've taught you already, will convict you, but he will not condemn you. He will convict you of what you're doing wrong, but he will show you things that you need to do to improve in that area. Satan is the one who will condemn you. God is a God of love, a God of mercy. Peter Lord points out that when Jesus came, he came to show us how we are to relate to God. And how did Jesus relate to God? He related to God as his father. In a sense, the highest revelation we have of God is that of a father. Above all else, he is your father. He is a holy father. He is a perfect father. He is a loving father. He is a merciful father. He is a good father. He is a righteous father. He is a heavenly father. And out of that wonderful relationship, we can grow and we can hear his voice. In the New Testament, the word father is used to refer to God 267 times. The only New Testament book that does not refer to God as father is that of 3 John. The epistles are written on the basis of God being our Father. That relationship is key. Now Satan might try to emphasize the holiness of God while minimizing the love of God, and that's going to make you fearful of God. You're going to be afraid of him, trembling. Someone else might try to... Some, someone else, no, that's not the way to say it. 
with someone else. Satan might try to overemphasize the love of God and say, oh, God loves you. He's going to forgive you. He's forgiven you of that. You don't need to worry about that. You can sit all you want. That's okay. He won't care. Friend, both extremes are wrong. That's not God speaking to you. The content of any word of God about himself begins with the basic fact that he is our father. And out of this father-child relationship, all else can have its proper place. Not only, well, how do do we see God as an intimate or distant friend? Intimacy is a vital part of the Christian life. God wants to build intimacy with us. And one of the proofs is that he came in the person of Jesus Christ to walk as man among men. Today, when we think of intimacy, most of us think of the sexual relationship. Let's be honest, okay? But the greatest intimacy is that of friendship where you achieve emotional intimacy with another individual. The strongest marriages are those that have discovered that they need to be friends before they are lovers. And they build that relationship and strengthen that relationship more than anything else in their relationship with one another. When we pray and talk with God, we are are entering into an intimate relationship where we are listening to an intimate friend and he is listening to us. He is faithful. He is genuine. He is always there. We can count on him. A distant friend may give ear to our prayers, okay? If we happen happen to be interested in something that they're interested in. Have you noticed that about, I, I call it the difference between friends and acquaintances. Acquaintances, they may listen to you as long as they're interested in what you're talking about. But a friend will listen to you regardless because they are interested in you. God has, wants to have that kind of relationship with us. Regardless, he will listen to you. I love the fact that we can be honest with him. I tried bringing that out last week. When, it, when I was pointing out that in the book of Habakkuk, it appeared as though he was, he was actually attacking God and accusing him of several different things. But the reality was, if you continue, it, I, I hope some of you went and read that whole book. It's only three chapters. But I know toward the, in the third chapter, he talks about, he's going he's gonna to serve his God. He's going to serve him no matter what. He may have had some questions about why God was doing certain things, but he wasn't questioning God's love for him. He knew God loved him. Do we think of him, do we hear him as a patient or as an intolerant teacher? How many of you had some intolerant teachers as you were growing up? Demanding, huh? But if we see God as a patient teacher, 
who understands where we have come from, understands the difficulties that we are having, and how little we really know, if he understands our feelings of inadequacy, then we will hear him with an open, teachable heart. And he will speak to us. If, however, we see God as a critical teacher who is always harping about our lack of spiritual understanding, then we're going to be continually waiting to be punished by him, and who wants to get there? I don't know about you, but I never welcomed punishment. I tried to escape it if I possibly could. There was only one time that I can remember that I got marched in before the vice principal, and I said, you can do whatever you want to, to me. I got mistaken for saying something that a friend had said. And I wasn't going to squeal on him. So I was ready to take the punishment. But you know what I had in the back of my mind? That friend was going to experience the punishment that I experienced. Because I was angry at him for not standing up when I was called in. I didn't welcome punishment. We don't like punishment. We don't like discipline. And yet most of us would have to say that if we didn't have any discipline in our lives, we would not have grown to be the people we are today. We would still be running around with a teenage mentality. Even if we are 50, 60, 70, 80 years old. And I've met a few 50, 60, 70, 80 year olds that have teenage mentalities. Some of them, I think, have kindergarten mentalities, quite honestly. But I always, there was a rite of passage on my school bus that they, when they got to fifth grade, they could sit in the back seats. They had to earn that. It was a rite of passage. But I can remember in two subsequent years that I pulled an entire grade up to the front of the bus to try to make a point to them. I realized it was the same grade after I'd done it the second time that I'd done the year before. <laughs> they didn't learn. <laughs> they hadn't learned. But I would accuse the fifth graders of acting like five-year-olds. They happened to do it when they were in fourth, and then again when they were in fifth grade. They got that prize seat up front, or seats up front. The God of the Bible is one that we can meet and we can know that he has patient understanding for us. That he can identify with where we're coming from, the things that we've gone through, the misunderstandings that we've had about him. He can understand that. And he can deal with that. Because God can withstand any of the questions we have for him. He is the almighty God. But do we, uh, next thing, do we see him as a gentle or as an angry guide? We all have times in our lives where we get off course. We go, we take detours. We make poor choices. We take wrong paths to pursue. And they lead to disaster more often than not. And we find ourselves there in the middle of some disastrous situation that we have created ourselves and we know we've created it. 
How does God respond? Well, he may chastise us, discipline us to get us back on track. But does the Bible say he gets angry when one of his children strays? No. It says he searches after them. Searches after them. The Holy Spirit tracks us down, reminds us of God's love and his direction. The warning system begins to work. I like the way person in our class today described it. Sometimes it's a tap on the shoulder. Sometimes it's a, a grip on the arm and shaking. Sometimes it's a thump on the head. Sometimes it's a two by four. <laughs> Holy Spirit will do what he has to do to get our attention and draw us back and get us when we're headed the wrong direction. But he doesn't remind us of our inadequacies. He, 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 doesn't con, he doesn't want us coming to him feeling condemned and guilty and, and, and having all this piled on top of us. He's a counselor that we can tell everything to. And he won't retaliate angrily. He's the counselor that we have as believers who is one from whom we cannot hide. <laughs> Let us remind that. He knows it all anyway. We're not fooling him. We might be able to fool our closest friends. I, I don't know how many, how many spouses have tried fooling their spouse. Most of the time it doesn't work after you've been married a few years. Let me clue you in. You can usually see right through it. But the neat thing is, he knows it all, and he loves us in spite of it. And we can tell him anything. We can tell him even how we feel about him. And he's not going to respond with anger. No matter what we say, God still loves us. Do you think of him in that way, or do you think of him as somebody who's kind of annoyed with your problems? We're human parents, and we do our best to be compassionate and understand with our kids and to guide them and try to figure out ways that we can give them direction. Sometimes we have to confess we get annoyed with them, and we don't want to have a whole lot to do with them. God doesn't. God doesn't act that way. I think most of us have experienced times of severe grief, Think about the one who comforted you the most during that time of grief. Wasn't it somebody who was simply there? They didn't even have to say a word. They just were there with you, sitting quietly with you. Wasn't the person that comforted you most the one who wept with you in your pain? That's the compassionate heart of God. That's the God we worship. Do we see him as a generous or reluctant provider? Do you see him with a scratch pad out, keeping count of exactly how much he's going to divvy out to you? Or do you just see him as somebody who delights in providing for his children? 
and taking care of them. The God of the Bible is interested in blessing us to the maximum. This idea of him as a chintzy, somewhat tight-fisted God is a total misconception of the one true God. Now, he's not Santa Claus there to give you whatever you want. Frankly, I haven't found a Santa Claus yet that gave me everything I wanted. (laughs) So even that's not a good analogy. But sometimes we get to thinking of him that way. But he is one that wants the very best for us. And he's going to provide the very best for us. If we do not see him in that light, then we've got two strikes against us already. We ask for what we deserve. And the reality is we don't deserve anything. But he still gives to us. One final thought along this line. Do you hear him as a faithful or inconsistent sustainer? He's on our team. Yeah. He is our faithful sustainer. When everybody else abandons us, he's going to hang in there with us. When nobody else is willing to endure and put up with us, he's there. He is trustworthy. He is reliable. He is consistent. We can depend upon him. Whether it's in the morning or at midnight, doesn't matter what time of day or night it is, his tender mercies are there waiting for us. We don't have to come to him wondering if we're saying the right things. We just need to come. Bear your soul before him. Recognize that he is on your side and thank him that he's behind us. He's behind us all the way. So our relationship and our understanding. The third element that Stanley points out that, if, that influences how we hear him has to do with our attitudes toward him. What's your attitude toward God? I've talked about that in the past, but it is critical and it bears repeating. If we come to God as rebellious, indifferent, and proud, then we're not going to hear what he wants to convey to us. In order to hear, we've got to have the right attitude toward God. This attitude toward God must be submissive. We must come before him willing to humble ourselves and to do his will. We must be agreeable to tackling whatever task he is asking us, whatever he has in mind for us. We need to be ready to say yes. But this attitude must also be trusting. We must be absolutely convinced that God is going to lead us in the right direction. And we need to be confidently assured that he will guide us in the path of righteousness. We can never become fully intimate with a God that we do not completely trust. In a marriage relationship, trust is a key element. And it is difficult to become fully intimate with, the, with that partner if, if that trust element is not there. And that's why it is so important. But trusting God means acknowledging that he is totally and completely trustworthy. You and I may not be, 
but he is. And the third element is it must be thankful. Even if yesterday was a disaster, we are to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise today. And you might be wondering, well, how does sin fit in there? When we willfully or impulsively sin against God, we still have a loving father. He still loves us. And a loving father will, dis- will discipline a disobedient child, but he will do it in a spirit of love. A patient teacher will make a child stay after school or come in at recess time until he learns. But the teacher will be understanding. A gentle guide will put a wayward climber back on the right path. He won't hurl him off the mountainside to do it. Okay? He's going to do it in the right way. But I want to add one to it. Because I believe that a proper God image is critical, is indispensable. But I also believe that a proper self-image is indispensable to the Christian life and that your life will be crippled if you're in, and your spiritual walk will be, will be hindered and you will not be hearing God's voice unless you have a proper self-image. The Lord seeks to build maturity. He seeks to build that maturity both in your image of Him and in your image of yourself. When two people deeply care about each other, they express how they feel about each other, right? Well, God's going to speak often how he feels about you. No one who listens to him this way should ever have a poor self-image. They should not come away from spending time with him discouraged because your self-worth is never attacked by the Lord. You are valuable to him. Listen to this little poem. When Project Earth is over, the creation, the coming of Jesus, the coming of the Holy Spirit, plus all the other things our God has done in his involvement on Earth, do you know all he is going to get from it? Not silver and gold, not art, not buildings, not literature. Jesus is going to get Just one thing. People like you and me. All God has done in creating earth, all that he has done as he has related to the creation that he made was so that he would have a family, so that he would have a bride, so that he would have a living temple, If you are one of his children, then you're his project. Yeah. You are valuable. You are precious. You are special to him. So special that he sent his son to die on the cross for you. We've been studying the book of Ephesians in our Bible study classes, but let me read a little bit that comes out of the first chapter beginning about the 18th verse. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, 
What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what, are the, what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of, strength, of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ. And he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Any, any, any mental attack on your self-worth does not come from the Father. He will correct your behavior, but he will not condemn your worth. It is the enemy that puts those thoughts, I'm no good, I will never amount to anything, I'm a failure, I'm a nobody, I'm, a, I'm not important. If you go to God in prayer with that kind of a self-image and that kind of attitude toward him, you're not going to hear him speaking to you. If he tries to say something, you're going to block it out. No, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I'm going to go ahead and read it and close out with this. It's the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians. Mind you, the Corinthian church had to be chastised. They had to be corrected. Paul had some hard things that he had to say to them. But listen to what he says as he begins his letter to them. Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. Saints by calling with all who in every place call upon the name of the, our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you to the end, blameless at the, in, the, in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Positive statements throughout. Only is after reestablishing and reminding them of all that they were in Christ Jesus, did he begin to share words of correction with them. Friends, he loves you. He loves you completely and totally. And there is nothing that you can do that would cause him to turn his back on you. He loves you. He is your heavenly father if you are trusting in him. Let's pray. Father, help us to realize how deep and secure that relationship is once we have trusted in Jesus for our salvation. That you become our heavenly father. 
You are an understanding Father, a merciful Father, a loving Father. Yes, you are a holy Father. And you will discipline us when discipline is appropriate. But you will never beat us down. You always lift us up. And for that, we thank you and praise you. We want to hear your voice. We need to hear your voice. So speak to our hearts as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen.